If you focus on engagement as the number one KPI, you will succeed, I promise. But if you take your eye off the ball, you're not going to get what you want. Those other things are the byproduct of engagement. Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dots Oyobulu, as he learns from CMOs, seasoned marketers, and agency owners about the state of marketing, strategic marketing insights, and actionable steps for growth. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com. Hi, marketers. This is Dots, and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is Brian Kramer, CEO, Executive Strategist, Business Coach at H2H Companies, and one of the top marketing thought leaders in the world. And we will be talking about an expert view to the marketing career as a passion or a means to an end. I know you guys are ready, so let's get it. Brian, how are you doing? I am doing great, especially now that I'm here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's get straight into it then. Could you please tell us a bit about yourself, your background, your role, and how has the journey been so far? Well, the journey of an entrepreneur is like an echocardiogram, a heart rate monitor, if you will. So full of ups and downs, but the downs created more ups. So I'm really grateful. Started as a marketer, actually graduated with a marketing degree and did what I actually studied, which is rare, and worked my way through agency life, marketing agency and ad agency life, helped with creating digital transformation all throughout my career and digital marketing. And so I then started an agency in 2022 called Pure Matter. We can do the math, but it's that many years old. And we've been through and created clients and worked with wonderful clients like Cisco and Netflix and MasterCard and IBM and all kinds of great clients. And then we started H2H Companies, which is an executive coaching company. And we work with executives, directors, and entrepreneurs to help them create more of what they want without burnout. And so that's the other side of what we do. That's who I am. I wrote two books, one HH, Human to Human. There's no B2B or B2C. It's HH, Human to Human. And the other one's Shareology, How Sharing Powers the Human Economy. I'm working on my third book, which will be focused on trust. And so that will hopefully be out within the next year, if all goes well. I'm just got to get myself writing. So there you go. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that's an awesome background. Personally, I am a fan of your work as well. And when I got to know the concept of the H2H, okay, what is this? So I've actually ordered the book. I can't wait to get it. I can't wait to read it. And I would like to ask a question concerning the H2H, Human's Human book itself. And in the, say, preface summary of that book, you said, businesses do not have emotions. People do. And my question is, since you've written that book till now, Do you think anything has changed in terms of how companies adjust their marketing or messaging to keep up with actual human behavior? I didn't think it would be around this long. I thought I'd have a shelf life because I wrote it in, I think it was 2014 or 2015. And so I really thought that at that time, it was more about social media and how two-way conversations on in the world were now possible. 
companies like would broadcast, it was one way. It was radio, TV, newspaper. What they said stood and you couldn't say anything back. And then social media changed that. Now, all of a sudden, you can get on and you could tweet anything you wanted. And the company had to respond or not respond, but that was their choice. And so that changed kind of the par- That was a paradigm shift. We're going through another paradigm shift, which is AI right now. And that changed again. I think augmented reality, virtual reality, all those things are changing tech, how we are as humans. And the thing that stood the test of time and the thing that I don't think will change is, and it's just getting to be more relevant or more prevalent, is that being human is everybody's competitive advantage. The more we automate, the less human we are. The more human we are, the more people gravitate toward us as brands. And yeah, emotion, empathy, simplicity, all the things that we gravitate towards each other as friendships or work friendships, people that we want to buy because we know, like, and trust them. Those are the things that will never go away. In fact, they're going to become even more important now more than ever. Interesting. And just to dive a little bit into what you just said there. So how do companies strike the balance? We have AI. It's, everyone is talking about it right now. And everyone is also going to commit to it right now. And then you have the human side of things in terms of communication and marketing. So do you think AI is going to mature to an extent that is human? Is it going to be able to give us insights as to actual human behavior or the nuances in human behavior and so on and so forth? I know art is already tackling human things like art or music in some cases, but I personally don't know if it's as perfect when it comes to interactions at scale. So what do you think about that? Do you think AI can really mature? Can it mature? Is that the question? Yeah. Yes, it has a long way to go, and it's only just getting started for sure. I think that's no surprise to anybody. Is it going to replace jobs? Yes, it will. It's, I'm just said that they're replacing like over 8,000 jobs. I don't know how they're going to do that with AI. However, the people that get on board with it and use it and find ways to use it are the people that are going to be replaced, the ones that find ways to use it. And really, the entire thing that I really believe about AI is that if we use it to bring us closer together faster, then we are using it for what its best intended purpose. If we use it to replace ourselves or replace our job and think that there's no more human engagement, then we're doing a disservice to our company and to ourselves. So it's not a replacement of, it's a speed enhancement to now what we can do. And productivity should shoot up and our way of being with each other should be more present, not less present. If we can use these technologies to bring us together, to have that engagement, to have more great deep conversations, not less conversations. That's if you take anything away from this, it's that it should enhance those conversations, not replace them. Yep. Enhance, not replace. If you're listening to this, I was also really focused on that keyword or that phrase there enhance and not replace. Listeners, again, the other thing Brian said we should take into cognizance is the fact that human connections, human interactions will not change. No matter how excited we are in terms of the technology or tactics or automation, the fact that human interactions will not change is still going to be a determining factor and something for brands and businesses to consider. So that's really awesome. Just moving on here, whilst preparing for this, I remember reflecting on my career. In June was when it started in 2012, so makes it 11 years from next month. And in June 2012, I was 23 years old at the time. 
followed folks like you, Mark Stersner, Measure School, Neil Patel, and so on and so forth, the very popular names. But at that time also, I was very aware of the prospect of digital marketing. I knew this was what I wanted to do. I majored in computer science. But coming from a country like Nigeria, where technology is emerging, even my friends didn't see what I was seeing. Because at that time, it was all very emerging. It was just coming out and everyone wants to join what's trending. They don't want to join what's potential, really. So from your experience, what do you think drives millennials nowadays or even the Gen Z guys to take on marketing as a career or a profession? Back to our episode. Yeah. Is it a passion or is it just a way to make money? Well, there's never been a more exciting time to be in marketing or sales. This is the most exciting time to be alive. Think about it. Think about just even, not even marketing. Let's go outside of marketing and talk about medicine and medical. I was talking to a veterinarian yesterday, and this is going to help us in marketing too, but think about this and how he is able to take a slide or take a photo of something inside of an animal that needs to be looked at. And now he's using AI to get like over 30,000 different combinations within 15 minutes of the diagnosis. Now, no human can do that. Not within 15 minutes, not within 15 hours. He is now cutting down hours and hours of time to be able to walk into the next room and tell the pet owner, this is more accurate and this is exactly what's going on. That's the kind of stuff that excites me because when you relate that back to marketing and how the speed to which we can now connect and have better communication or connect and find the needle in the haystack, looking at 15,000 pieces of data and saying, okay, this is a more accurate way that we can have better targeted understanding of who our audience is and where to find them so that we can reach the right person. That's the kind of stuff that we've been waiting for. Now, how we reach out to them and what we do with that conversation is up to us. If we use automation, that's not good. If we use human interaction or at least a combination thereof, we're going to be way better off. That's why I think it excites Gen Z or millennials because this kind of stuff is just getting started. That's just, we're on the precipice of technology doing things that we can't even dream of right now. The AI tools that are coming out every single day are in the tens, if not twenties of new tools that are coming out. I get notifications that are just like mind boggling. So I just think this is the coolest time. And that's why millennials and Gen Z are, wow, what do I do with all this? Where's this going to go? And that to me is why I think it's so exciting. Yeah, like many people say, this is the worst it will ever be. That means give it five years from now and you could compare to say, oh my gosh, it's mind boggling. And you're right. I think this is the best time to be a marketer. My fear is sometimes people lose the perspective or the approach or now to say get started, for example. And which is why I ask you again on the flip side. What do you think are the best practices in striking the balance between passion and your paycheck? Do I just rush into a particular field of marketing because that's what everybody's talking about? Or do I want to carefully look at the web? Or I'm not saying the web in terms of internet here, the web in terms of all the different aspects of marketing. Say, okay, based on my passion, I think this is where I will excel the most. For example, in my life, I have always love the concept of performance marketing, even though it's one of the hardest to do because you want to look into the eye of the client 
and tell them, I can make you money through my marketing and I'm willing to bet my career on it. And that's how I've been for the past 11 years. And now I'm looking at other aspects of that in terms of the new frontier of podcasting and how I can pioneer technology to drive podcast marketing because not many people are doing it. Enough about myself. So what I'm saying is, what do you advise younger marketers in terms of the best practices of striking the balance between picking the right marketing skill or experience and just going out because it will give you six figures or seven figures? First and foremost, I love that you are doing what you love. It, it shows. And that's what happens when you do something that you love, it shows. Think about that. Really let that sink in. If you're doing what you love, it will show and you will do better. If we do what we don't love, it's going to show and we're not going to do better. So it really, I hate to oversimplify it, but we have to do what we love or we're not going to thrive. And that killed me years ago. I was not doing what I loved. And I would burned out massively. I was 85 pounds weight overweight. I got diabetes. I was traveling 200 days a year. And I really did not like myself. And I had to turn my life around because I wasn't doing what I loved. And so it looks great from the outside looking in when people are like, well, you're speaking and you're doing all these great things and you're running companies. But if you are doing what you love inside, You can die a slow death and really not show up the way that you need to for your family, for your friends, for your work, for the job that you originally started out doing and what brought you into what you love about what you do. You have to really stick to what is the one thing. And if you take anything away from what I just said is not just to find what you love and there is no such thing as balance and you use the word balance. Yeah, get that out because balance doesn't exist. We have to work in harmony in harmony of ourselves and what brings us joy, and then create more of that and find a way to get more impact in the world for what you want. If you have impact, not outcomes, impact, you're going to create more of what you want. So align that with your joy. Align impact and joy, and you will have more of what you want in your life. Wow, that's powerful there. Just to reiterate, guys, align the impact, not the outcome. Right. And unfortunately, these days, what we see as outcome is almost vague. And if you listen again at what Brian said, he said, yeah, from the outside, people might see you doing very well. You are speaking at engagements. You're speaking everywhere. You're popular. You're this and that. But at the end of the day, do you get that peace or do you get that fulfillment in that area? So, again, if you do what you love, it will show. I think you want to take that keyword, you want to frame it, and you want to put it in your home. I also agree with you, Brian, in the sense of work-life harmony, work-something-else harmony, not the balance. It's always having that harmony, and you continue to try. And as you thrive, the harmony is optimized, and you're not running out. You're healthy, you're happy, and you can live a very fulfilling career. So this is very great. Moving on here. I came across some time ago, not until a few years ago, I didn't know actually what it was, the fractional CMO. And being some sort of a fractional CMO yourself, can you tell us what that means? Yeah, I have done and do some fractional CMO work as an advisor and as an investor. And it really is a lot of companies don't need a full-time CMO. They shouldn't have a full-time CMO. They're not there yet. A CMO really needs to be brought in full-time at very high level when your business is progressed. 
much farther along. It's a lot more nurtured into being able to support full marketing team. Once you have a full marketing team and you're running on all cylinders, that's a good time to have a full-time CMO. As you're building or as you're creating the plane as you fly it, which most companies are, then that's a good time to bring in a fractional CMO that can help you build the strategy, put that strategy in place, and then sometimes even walk away and let the strategy fill itself out until it's ready for that CMO to come back in again. But building the upfront tracks, laying the tracks down for the train to be able to find its way through the mountains and the passes and all the way through the land, if you will, that's the idea behind a CMO or a fractional CMO is to be able to come in and lay those tracks down so that you can get out as much as you need up front when time and resources are really limited. Or sometimes a fractional CMO can come in at a mid-market company and actually do the same thing. You've got a full team. You don't need the CMO just yet. And they'll come in and help organize a team structure and productivity and creating a roadmap for them to be successful until they can transition into the CMO where they don't go away and they just actually transition to that. So those are the two different scenarios that I often see a CMO playing a role in. But a lot of it really does align around data analytics and figuring out what's the best use case for us moving forward so that we can track exactly what we're doing and then see what the results of what those things are. Knowing that kind of thing right now is definitely good. And then the last thing I'll say about it is not throwing mud at the wall and you can't afford to do that. So how this at every juncture of a CMO's life is to put the things in place that you know will work up front so that you can have more success up front with the low hanging fruit that you know is going to work. And then at that point, you can start testing. But that's basically what a CMO, a fractional CMO is. Yeah, that makes sense. Just to add to what you said there, Brian, fractional CMOs are also very, say, experienced or talented in digital transformation aspects of marketing. And they are, this is just marketing. I've seen fractional senior vice president of sales. I know a few of them personally. But back to marketing here, the key is that they provide efficiency for companies with limited budgets, but want to really lay a good foundation for growth when it comes to strategy, when it comes to marketing intelligence when it comes to digital transformation, or even in some cases, laying the groundwork or laying the roadmap for initiatives. Now I know all this seems very fantastic and some of our listeners may be like, I would like a piece of that. So what do you think is your advice in terms of people considering doing that or should people even consider doing that at all? I think it just depends on whether you like to do not just strategy, but if you really have a passion and a joy for strategy, and I think that strategy is something that won't go away ever, at least for not in our lifetime. That's the thing that AI won't replace. It's not going to replace how to match strategy with implementation. And so that's the role of the CMO. If you enjoyed that one thing right there and you have experience in it and you know exactly where the pieces to the puzzle fit, and then you can align it with others to be able to go implement now you're doing something that really fits what you love. If you don't like that, then I would say, no, it's not meant for everyone. It's a real high pressure job. It's not something that's low pressure. So I would say that if you really like to have a higher pressure, but not the extreme pressure, it's not for you. I would say that there's a lot more certainty in like email marketing or in building websites and things like that. So if you're really aligned more in these different places where you know your impact is going to be on those levels where you are filled with more joy in that area. And that's where your skill set is. Stay there and build that up and do what you absolutely love. Because 
there's over thousands of different ways that you can market. So there's also thousands of different ways that you can become a marketer. CMO is just one of them. Yeah, absolutely. And that sounds really good. Okay, I'd like us to get back into the human marketing career tactics or strategy here. And I'd like to start with this very simple question. To become a human marketer, what do you think are the practical tools? What do I need to possess or acquire or learn or grab or buy to become that human marketer from day one? Your hands are your tools. If you want to be a human marketer, use your keyboard or use your phone. And it all starts with picking up the phone and calling someone or typing a message to someone and reaching out. That's a human marketer. A human marketer is writing a note or a thank you note, a real one, and actually sending it to someone. A human marketer is somebody who actually reaches out to somebody and says, hey, how are you doing? And mean it. And actually sit there and listen in a level three listening. A human marketer listens. A human listens. There's three different levels of listening. The first one is you're not listening. You're thinking about other things. Level two is you're listening, but you're waiting for it to be your turn. And level three is you're listening to the other person without thinking about what you're going to say or do. You're just intently listening on what they're saying. If you can do that level three, you have hit the aha level, the ultimate level of being human. And now you're going to engage at a higher level as well. So the more that we listen, and that hasn't gone away, that's always been that way. If we can continue that and build it as a skill and be a better human listener, we're going to continue to build our company in a better way. Awesome. Just a side joke here. If you're married, you're probably on your way to learning level three, whether you like it or not. That will probably help your marketing career. Okay, let's dive into, again, still on that segment of the topic. How can marketing leaders upskill their employees? from your perspective, in trying to become that human performance marketing leader, or let's not even talk about CMOs at this moment, or just looking at who is that human performance marketing manager or employee, and how I, as a marketing leader, can train that person to become the kind of leader in future, if you like. Yeah, really good question. Because if we don't have skill right now, you're going to get left behind. It's, I feel like we say that every year. But now this feels like it's a little different because now all of a sudden there's tools that can actually do the things we used to do and maybe more so. And so now we have to sit down and actually think about what are these ways that we can get ahead of the curve. It's always been how do we get ahead of the curve, but even more so now. And I think that one of the ways that we used to do it at our agency is we would have a brown bag lunch and everyone would bring a brown bag in. And we take turns teaching each other something. So the account executive team would teach us something. The programming team would teach us something. Graphic design team would teach us something. And every month we would get together and teach each other what the other person does, what are the innovations in their area, and how can we help them to do a better job as a team, as well as what are the steps that we're missing as a team so that we can do things better. And then finally, what's coming? What do we need to be prepared for? Because if we're prepared for it, we know it's coming, we're going to be able to establish a new process. We all survive on systems, structure, and people. If we have those three things and we're constantly learning around those three things and building for a better process, systems, and structure, we're going to be a better company and we're going to continue to grow. 
the minute one, two, or all three of these things don't grow, we're going to get left behind. And that's where you see companies losing ground all the time. Yeah. And I like what you said there with the brown bag concept. You probably don't know how crucial this is. And to all listeners, I would like to point out something here. Okay. A lot of marketers or even professionals, they come into work with this mindset of it's my lane, I'm going to stick to it. I'm not a developer, I'm a marketer. You don't have to tell me about how you write code or whatever it is and stuff like that. I just want to stay in my lane. And because of that, many people are disinterested with what is going on around them. And what Brian is saying is that you need to have a mind shift with regards to that. You need to be open-minded to see what the trends are, what is coming, and that could also lead to very fruitful conversations, human-to-human conversations as well. And I will say to become a leader, you have to have a good idea of what everybody is doing, what is going on around you, how you can connect the dots, no puns intended yet, how to connect the dots to grow your own career, provide the commercial value, and still deliver human experiences at the workplace. Okay, mentoring. Let's talk about mentoring. You've probably mentored hundreds indirectly, maybe millions of marketers. And I would like to say in terms of those coming back to you to say, oh, thank you, Brian. You've been an inspiration. People like myself, for example. What are the top three things that they share with you when they now see that they are enjoying their career and they are fulfilled of building commercial impact because of your mentorship? There's typically three different things that I see. One is a great question, and there's more than three, but I'll give you the top, at least what I think are the top three. You can go ahead beyond three if you want. I could go on for an hour on this one, but the first one is confidence. Increased confidence is really something that I think everyone comes in to any business, and when they move jobs, it's the same thing. But as a new person who's coming in, gaining confidence around what you're doing and what you're delivering and knowing that you're delivering value, because we all want to feel like we're delivering value. And so how do we do that? And a lot of that is through time and effort, but also educating yourself and realizing that you can ask for help. Asking for help gains confidence. I know it's a backwards thinking, but it actually works. And so number two is an expanded network. As a new person in a role or a new person just starting out, or any job I can apply this to really is expanding your network. This goes back to the human-to-human philosophy of knowing that the more connected and engaged you are with your network as it grows, it's going to come back to help you. One night I remember in high school, I didn't want to go to this event that my parents were going to. It was a parent's event and it was like something that they were involved in. And they asked me to go and I'm like, I don't want to go to this. I'm like 18 or I think it was 18, just heading into college. And come on, you got to come and it'd be good for you just to get out. And I'm because I think I was at home for a couple of days. And so I finally went out and I met somebody that night who offered me a job and it was a summer job. It was a great job at Macy's, a department store. And I got to be a floater and move around all the different departments. I learned so much from that and realized that just showing up sometimes when you don't want to actually creates an opportunity and expands your network. So get it out there. I'm not a huge fan of going just to networking events back to back to back. I don't think that that's going to help. But showing up and saying yes, when you feel like the opportunity is there, it is absolutely good. And then the third one is just what we talked about, and that's professional development, learning and educating yourself. Learn one new thing a day. Just push yourself to learn one new thing a day. It could be in five minutes or 10 minutes. 
but just create the space and time to create one new thing or learn one new thing you didn't know, whether it's reading an article or watching a video or listening to my friend Dot's podcast. Those kinds of things are going to create just a little bit more every day. That's going to give you 365 new things that you can learn a year. Yeah, that's right. I think you sort of nailed it on the head there. And again, when we talk about very qualitative things like this, people often take it for granted. But if you are listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, again, don't forget to subscribe. If you are listening, please take these three things to add. The biggest for me of recent is the networking because I've done so much for my career, but it's tend to lose that touch. People need to discover you. You need to discover people as well. And what Brian said about showing up is so important. You need to make networking, however little it is, you need to make it very, very valuable. I read one of your posts, Brian, on the Pure Matter website, and I thought this is, I just can't wait to share this. And that was the post about pain versus pleasure, how to avoid burnout and how to live a very fulfilling career without being miserable. And then you had said there that growth is hard and there's always that pain and there's always the pleasure. So in terms of marketing right now, what do you advise marketers as they continue to move ahead towards a fulfilling career? I like what you said at the beginning of this episode in terms of marketing is like the heartbeat. There are highs, there are lows, but sometimes you have a very significant low to get an exponential high. So can you maybe just dive straight into that and also give us some other tips as well on how marketers can really grow to have a fulfilling career? You know, the first one is going to feel so not connectable, but it's so true. And I want you to really take this in when I say it, because it's not something we want to hear, but embracing discomfort is the top thing that you have to get used to. Embracing discomfort actually grows you and you understand how to step out of your comfort zone and take risks through embracing discomfort. And that is the biggest thing that you can do in pain versus pleasure. Yes, it sounds painful, but on the other side is something big, I promise. Every single time, whether it works or it doesn't work, you are going to see why that thing happened. Number two is setting and understanding what the impact is that you desire. Not goals, not outcomes, but the impact that you desire. We talked about this before. So understanding what you want the impact to be. So I'm just going to say this really simply. An impact is an emotion. What is the emotion that you desire? So for me, I believe that joy-filled humans and being human is everybody's advantage, that it makes you competitive in the landscape. And that's the impact that I want to make in the world. And so set your impact. What's your impact in the world? We talked about mentorship and networking. Those are hand in hand. And then finally, focus on your strengths. Create a list of what your strengths are and see what you what's visible, what's transparent and what comes up for you. Just sit down for two minutes or five minutes and really dive into what you believe your strengths are and then go increase those. Say, how can I make these bigger? How can I make them better? Where can I see them grow? That's what you love doing. If those are your strengths, then go create more of that. And now you're going to have a much more or a much easier time in the pleasure versus the pain. Yeah, that's awesome. And some keynotes even for me personally there, and I do really appreciate. Looking at some scenario here, I have been seeing a trend personally in terms of marketers that are already in the business. And what happens is we are in an age of recession, age of survival. And so 
in the process of delivering their work, they lose the ethics involved. What is your advice to marketers that needs the courage, looking for that courage to be able to execute the human side of marketing in the right way? Part of being a human and part of being a human marketer is truly helping people. It's truly helping businesses. It's truly growing businesses. So what you have right now is people saying, oh, okay, conversion rate is a great KPI, sales conversion rate. However, it's low for this period. I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my job because it's low. So I'm going to report impressions instead, a vanity metric, and so on and so forth. So when it comes to performance marketing and attribution with ethical marketing, what have been your experience? What is your advice to people in saying you can't do the right thing and you can't make your stakeholders see that you are doing the right thing and there is purpose in what you are doing and you are looking at this, say, initiative responsive without breaking your ethics? Yeah, I'll give you the number one metric that I believe is the metric, the KPI to end all KPIs. The one thing that we need to do more of and the thing we don't do more of because we focus on conversion and we focus on click rates, we focus on open rates, and we focus on all the things that don't matter. I know everyone's like, what? How does conversion not matter? How does click rate not matter? How does open rate not matter? It does matter, but not in the way that you think. You're focusing on the wrong thing. The number one KPI is engagement. Engagement drives more clicks. Engagement drives more open rates. Engagement drives more sales. Focus on engagement. Engagement inside your company, engagement with your customers, engagement with your potential customers. If you focus on engagement as the number one KPI, you will succeed, I promise. But if you take your eye off the ball, you're not going to get what you want. Those other things are the byproduct of engagement. Wow. I've never had that before in a long time. And I think it's very easier for marketers to focus on this as a basis when it comes to attribution and justifying extra budget and things like that. Because once we are able to let your stakeholders see the reason for why this marketing should continue, because the engagement rate is high, that will often lead to not just acquisition, but even retention. Engagement is the biggest reason for retention. It's the biggest reason for lifetime value and so on and so forth. So I like the way you put it really simply, which is how I like to approach marketing, by the way. Keep it simple. So thanks so much for that. Brian, it's been awesome speaking to you and you've shared so much wisdom today. I can't begin to count. Where can aspiring human marketers find you if they need help? You can find me all over the internet at Brian Kramer, Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K, or on my website, briankramer.com. Again, Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K. Thanks, mom, for making my name difficult. Everyone else is the I, so that makes me unique and I'm cool with that. But yeah, Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K.com. And all my socials there, my newsletters there, I reply back to anybody that is subscribed to the newsletter and wants to engage. And I love replying back. I spend my week after a newsletter releases engaging with you. So please do come say hi. And I would love that. Awesome. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. See more episodes at dotslovesmarketing.com and subscribe to the Marketing Leadership Podcast on Apple and Spotify. Till next episode, connect the dots. Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. Brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. 